All right, we should be moving on in our study of long gospel. I think it would be part 52, but we're going to have to take a small detour in our subject of long gospel. It will still be related to long gospel, but the reason we're going to take the detour, and I probably should have waited to take it, but I just, I'm just going to do it this morning, is in the book, God's No and God's Yes, on page 45, it takes this weird turn really weird turn. And right now we're looking at these uh, kind of, there's these three points uh, that we started looking at, I think on Wednesday. And uh, we are going to kind of, we're going to move away from those three points. And we're, we're going to skip down in the book to where it starts talking about baptism. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the concept of law and gospel as it relates to baptism, especially uh, how, especially within, I think, in Lutheranism, personally, I think within Lutheranism, this is where it becomes so convoluted because on one hand, Lutheranism, conservative, confessional Lutheranism, does a great job of the proper distinction between law and gospel. When they introduce their view on baptism, to me, it's so convoluted that we're going to do our best to try to see the problem with it, and try to see how the doctrine of law and gospel impacts what you can or cannot believe in regards to baptism, all right? So let's make sure we have a a basic reminder. When we say law and gospel, when we say law and gospel, let's make sure we have clear understandings of our definitions. When we say law, what are we referencing? What do we mean by law? Yeah, what God tells us to do, right? Law tells us what to do, basically in order to be saved. Even if you say law tells you what to do to prove that you're saved, you're still saying that law does what? It's the God's demands that are related to salvation, right? right? God's law, right? It's God telling you what to do. And when we refer to gospel, what do we mean? Or what are we typically referencing? How do we understand it? What God has done for us. Law tells us what we must do. Gospel tells us what God has done for us. Remember, we, we've covered this now uh, numerous times, so we have to have that down. Now, when we bring baptism into this discussion, I think we realize, well, wait a minute, there's some possible issues here. So, let's, let's bring baptism into this, okay? So, everybody, now, some of this will be repetitive, but we, we're going to at least kind of establish some basic parameters, If we bring baptism into this subject and we look at baptism from a law perspective or a gospel perspective, what do we have to establish then about baptism? What questions should we ask about baptism as it relates to law and gospel? Okay, is baptism law or is baptism gospel? All right, now this, this can create some problems, right? Because... Now, and I'm going to throw this out there. If we say baptism is gospel, then what do we, what do we, what does that infer? What does that kind of bring into the subject of baptism? If we say baptism is gospel, what do we, what does that mean in regards to baptism? That would be law.
Well, if it's, if it's gospel, that means baptism is something God does for us. Okay, very good. Meaning that we would have to understand baptism in what way? Okay, if we, if we understand baptism, there's, there's only two views in the entire history of Christianity when it comes to baptism. What are the two views about baptism throughout the history of Christianity? One starts with an S, one starts with an O. Sacrament or ordinance? If it's a sacrament, then it becomes what? No, no. If it's a, it's a visible means of grace. There may be a requirement aspect to it, but if it's a visible means of grace, something is happening for us, right? So typically, then it would be viewed, if it's a sacrament, then you put it in which camp? You typically put it more in the gospel camp because God is doing something for us, connected with grace, through the outward sign. Right? Okay. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? All right. All right. So if, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's a sacrament, then it fits where? It fits more gospel. Now, Sarah's right because you may, you may turn around and make it a requirement, but for, for, for argument's sake, let's just go with this concept. All right. If it's, if it's a sacrament, it has to be placed more in the gospel understanding because it's something God is doing for us through this visible means, right? Here's a visible means. God is connected with that visible means and then he imparts grace into us through us because of the visible means and his word connected to it. I'll I'll read from Luther here in just a minute to help you understand that. All right, if it's an ordinance, how do we understand it? Well, it's not salvation. Okay, that's a better way of putting it. It's not salvation related, right? In other words, if it's, if it's not a sacrament, right, and it's just an ordinance, now this is where it can get tricky, right? Because some within the Protestant camp may not see it as being a visible means of grace, but they may say something like, well, look, if you become saved and you don't get baptized or you refuse to get baptized, that proves you were Never saved, so it almost makes it a test, which then places it more back where? And law, all right? But if we just view it as an ordinance, where God calls us to do it, there's still a law-based element to it because of why? We're called to do something, and, and what are we doing? And an ordinance way of understanding baptism, what is occurring? Okay, we're demonstrating a spiritual reality through a physical act. Correct? We're demonstrating something. But it's something what? That we do. Right? It's something we... We're doing something to demonstrate what God has done. But we see it that God commands it. We obey it. So it's very much more law-based. So is baptism law-based or is it gospel-based? Now, this gets even more convoluted, right? Now, let's go back to the sacramental side, right? This is where it gets convoluted, right? If we say, if in the sacramental system, you say baptism is a visible means of grace in which God does something for us, that sounds very gospel, right? But what if you say, however, if you don't do this, if you don't get baptized 
then you don't get that grace. Therefore, you're not. Oh, now what did we just do? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Now we just turned it back to a, a requirement. Okay. Where are you lost? Help me out. Help me out. Tell me where you're lost. Which part? Where do we need to go back to? I can walk through this all day. Whatever we need, because I want to make sure. Because this is, no, no, this is convoluted. No, 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 no. Tell me where, tell me where you're lost, because we will back up. And I'm going to, if, if you're lost, there's probably a good chance other people online are lost. So let me uh, open up the. No, tell, tell me what you think. Don't, don't worry about how it sounds. Just say it. Just say it. Don't worry, don't worry about how it sounds, because I guarantee there's people online right now with the same question or thought. So I need someone to verbalize it. Thank you. Okay, good. Right. No, I want you to see how convoluted this can get, right? If we, once we bring baptism, see, uh, we, we, could, we sometimes think of baptism and we almost remove it out of this context, right? Once we put baptism into the context of law and gospel, things get really weird and messy, correct? Because you're right. If I say, hey, baptism is what God does for you, that sounds gospel, right? Amen. But if you don't do it, you're not saved. That makes it a demand. Okay, it's an ordinance. All right, so I don't get anything for it. All right, well, that sounds... So that, I, that doesn't sound gospel, that sounds law. I do it, but, I don't, but there's no salvific aspect to it. I'm demonstrating what God did for it, but I'm still making it a law. All right, so then it sounds law. But, but then if I come along and say, but if you don't do it, you're not saved, well, this all becomes law, 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 law. So how do we, how do we actually understand? It's going to get even more, con- it's going to get more convoluted. Just, it's going to get more convoluted, all right? Oh, I, there is no better in this. There is no better in this in any way, shape, or form. Right, and that's why it's been so confusing throughout church history. Right? Uh, someone, uh, someone last night, because I, the other day I did a podcast episode called Baptism in the Early Church. Right? And I told everyone to look up three sources. The Didache, uh, Tertullian on Baptism, and Hippolytus. Uh, the Apostolic Tradition by Hippolytus, right? So I told everyone to look at these three. Well, someone had read Tertullian on baptism, and they were like, I don't understand this. And I'm like, yeah, because it's convoluted. It's con- everyone acts like it's so... You go back and read just those three historical sources. One goes from 70 AD. Hippolytus, I think, gets us to around 215, 220 maybe 225. So you go from, because if we take the Didache 70 AD to 225, that, that's a period of time. That's early church, right? That's early, early church. And I think if you read those three sources, you'll be like, so what was the view of baptism in the early church? And everybody's always like, the, the ch- early church was unanimous. No, 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 no. It's convoluted. So, and even trying to figure this out can get convoluted. So let's stay, so let's make sure we understand. Once we insert baptism into the law and gospel idea framework, we see there's some questions here. But now, listen to me careful. This is where it's important. All right? All right, this is where it's important. 
Let's go with the sacramental view, right? Let's say baptism is a straight up sacrament where when you play, and now it's a sacrament where grace is imparted, it's regenerative. Meaning if, if we would have taken Emma when she was eight days old and sprinkled her in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that her uh, original sin would have been washed away and she would have been regenerated, she would have been made alive, and we would have said, now here's our sister in Christ. Now, on one hand, that is as gospel as gospel as you can get, right? Right? It's Lutheran, it's Catholic, it's Greek Orthodox, it's, it's a good portion of church history, right? Now, that's very gospel. Everybody makes it, does that make sense? And you're like, okay, because she's not doing anything. God's doing it all for her. So you're like, man, they've got a gospel mindset. But what if you come along and say, however, if Emma grows up, she can lose that salvation. No matter how much you argue that baptism is gospel, what did you just walk right back into? Not only a law, a straight-up works-based system. That's what so con- was confusing to me as a Lutheran, because I was like, wait, these kids were baptized, and I'm going to the pastor, because I was working with the youth, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, confirmation is a, a very important part, but I'm saying if at any point you say you can lose it, You've just turned it all into a, a law, ba- a works-based system. And they would lose their mind if you make that accusation. But that was my whole thing is, wait, these kids were baptized? These kids were confirmed? These kids were, are saved? Well, no, they can lose their salvation. Well, then that's works. <laughs> okay, like, stop, stop yelling at everyone else for not believing in, in a gospel. That is as works, as works, works, works as you can get. I mean, that's basically just walking right back into the lordship concept, right? So we all, we see we're all, we, this uh, is always the problem. So let's go through the Lutheran view just a little bit here. And we're going to, we're going to try to answer some of these questions. All right. Okay. So let, I'm going to, I'm going to be going to uh, Luther's ca- uh, catechism. All right. And uh, this is the part that's on the sacrament of holy baptism. All right. This is a Lutheran view on baptism. All right. Everybody ready? And because, the, and just so that everyone understands, the reason we are picking on the Lutherans, we could pull up the Catholic Catechism as well, but the reason is because in this book, God's no and God's yes, let me read exactly what happens. After uh, they try to offer these uh, three points that we started looking at on uh, Wednesday, right? All of a sudden, it's just so weird, after the third point, the book just jumps to this. No doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran church is more offensive to the Reformed than the doctrine that the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, righteousness and the sight of God, and eternal salvation is obtained in no other way than by believers putting its confidence in the written word, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and in absolution. The Reformed declare that this way of getting to heaven is too mechanical, and on hearing the Lutheran teaching, they denounce it. They say, what does baptism with water profit? 
The true baptism is baptism with the Spirit and with fire. Again, what is the benefit of eating and drinking the natural body and blood of Christ? The true food and drink by which the hunger and thirst of the soul is really stilled is the truth that came down from heaven. Finally, they say, how can I be helped by a mortal sinful man who cannot look into my heart and say to me, your sins are forgiven you? No, my sins are not forgiven except when God himself speaks these words in my heart and makes me feel their force. According to the Holy Scriptures, baptism is not a mere washing with earthly water, but the Spirit of God. Yea, Jesus with his blood connects it for the purpose of cleansing me of my sins. So they believe, obviously, baptism is salvific. Baptism is regenerative. Baptism washes away sin. Now that sounds as gospel as you can get. Now, logically then, let's just make sure, let's at least establish this and then we'll get to Luther's catechism. Let's, let's establish this concept. Now, I think we can all agree. If baptism is regenerative and salvific, right? And it's a gospel concept. In other words, God is doing the work. What is the logical conclusion then of, infant, of, of baptism, let's start with infant baptism. What would be the logical conclusion of infant baptism then? If all of those things are true, it's regenerative, it's salvific, and it's a work of God. What would be the logical conclusion of infant baptism? Would be saved eternally. No matter what. In other words, it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter if they turn to be 16 and renounce Christianity and become an atheist. You would still have to say they are saved. You, you, there's a, because because if, if you say they're not saved, or the regenerative process was reversed, or abandoned, or threat, therefore, therefore then, guess what? It's not a work of God. Yeah, it would be a work of God which we can either, we can thwart, we can overcome. So then it's not really a work of God. So you destroy the whole concept. I want to make sure we understand that. The minute you say that infant baptism is salvific regenerative, then you have to conclude that every baby baptized is eternally secure. Because if God saves, then God saves. If my actions could play any part on whether I stay saved, then I'm not saved by the work of God. It's a work of God and man somehow cooperating together, which is basically back to Roman Catholicism, right? God starts something at baptism, and whose job is it to finish it? Our job cooperating with, with uh, other things to possibly get us to the end. That is just Roman Catholicism. But if you, if you call into question anyone who holds to a salvific, regenerative infant baptism, they will immediately attack you like, you just, like, you're dumb and you're ignorant. No! Either we're saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone, or God starts the salvific process in infant baptism, and then somehow, somehow along the line, I gotta come in and I gotta take either ownership of it. I've got to do something. It's almost like, this is almost the way it's designed. And and I think this is historically accurate. I think the reason infant baptism 
became the dominant view of the early churches for what reason? I've said it a million times. Why do I believe that infant baptism dominated the early church? No, no, no I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. They believed in uh, total, they believed that we're born sinners, right? Okay. Now, in, at that period in history, what was happening to infants? A lot of death. High infant mortality, right? They were dying all the time, right? A child making it through uh, birth and through childhood was a, was a very difficult thing, right? Well, if you have babies dying all the time, but, you're, but you believe they're sinners, what question is going to come into everyone's mind? Do they go to heaven or go to hell? That's a, hor- that's a horrible concept, right? Okay, so how are we going to get them into heaven? Well, if you say they have, and remember, Sarah brought this up a lot years ago when we were studying the London Baptist Confession of Faith about infants, and you said, well, if we believe a baby can be saved, then that means someone can be saved apart from, and what did you, do you remember what you said? Apart from faith. So if a baby can be saved apart from faith, then why can't? Everyone, right? That you were taking it to its logical conclusion, right? Now, and, and of course, people get upset if you say something like that, but that, that's the way we have to think about it. So I can understand why you would want infant baptism, right? I got to get these babies saved. But this is almost the way it was designed. Baptism gets you saved for 12 years, for 13 years, for 14 years. And then you must take ownership of that salvation through confirmation where you confirm that now you are accepting it. Well, wait, so that means it's a work of God with a 12-year time limit? Oh, right. Exactly. So, 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 so others came along and said, no, we have an age of accountability. You're just good to go. So age of accountability is just, a, a, just another version of infant baptism. Instead of putting water on you, you're just good to go. No, you don't even require faith. Once again, you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, it doesn't matter about faith. You don't even need it, right? So in both, in both cases, what were we attempting to do? Make us feel better, right? Right? Because, and people were like, well, well people need comfort. I, I, I cannot, oh, this is, just drives me crazy. And I know I'm about to get myself in trouble here, but I'm going to say it. If you think Christianity is comforting, you're out of your mind. There is nothing comforting about a theological system that says people can die and burn for eternity. There is nothing comforting about that. Ever. Ever. You may find comfort for yourself if you think you're going to heaven, but as long as you know people are burning, I don't know how that's comforting. That's why some lost people like that's one of the most psychologically disturbing theologies in the history of humankind has to be Christianity and its belief in eternal punishment. Right? There's nothing comforting. So sometimes as soon as we get confronted with that which isn't comforting, then we try to find a way to make it comforting. But I'm sorry, the, the, the problem is either if you're, if you're going to say infant baptism, you can't have this weird concept that it's only good for 12 or 13 years. And now the child has to, now he has to believe. 
right? Well, then the, then the baptism didn't save. The baptism simply gave a temporary protection, right? So, or the uh, an age of accountability. It doesn't really save. It just gives a temporary period of protection. But the thing is, if God can give you a temporary time of protection apart from faith, then why doesn't he just extend it? <laughs> right? Like, why don't he just extend it for everyone, right? And if infant baptism does save permanently, then every church in America should have free daycare. Right? Free daycare. We, would, we should spend billions of dollars to have free daycare from the age of, you know, infant to say two or three years old. We will take care of your child. Why do we want to take care of your child? We're going to baptize every single one and guarantee that every child is... Because you, who cares what the parent thinks, right? I mean, you're just putting water on their head. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The child doesn't know, the parent doesn't know, but God knows. And boom, 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 we got magic Christians. Every, every church that believes that baptism is... That if, they, if they really believe baptism actually saves the child, they should move heaven and earth. They should take out loans for billions of dollars and announce to the city, free daycare from the age of zero to three. This church will take care of your child. Hire every person you need. I mean, buy a warehouse. Have every child in your city coming there for three years of care. And get, make sure that that child is baptized. You say, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. Because, yeah, because then those child, but, but everyone has to get out of, somehow, well, wait, 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 wait. Because they all know what happens to, how, how many people have you known who was baptized as an infant? A lot of them. And what, where are many of them today? Reprobates. Well, I mean, we're all reprobate, but I'm saying many of them, they just don't even care. Like, they don't even, they're not going to church. And I mean, I, yes, we're, the only difference with us being a reprobate is we're in church and we read the Bible. They, but they're reprobates and they don't even have any hint of faith. Well, then what happened? Well, they'll still send their kid. Because, because guess what? They still want to believe if that kid gets baptized that they're going to go to heaven. The whole thing is just a train wreck, right? It's so convoluted. So uh, the, the whole thing is a mess. All right, so let's go through Luther's. I know that, 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 that just kind of getting us all started, but let's go through this quickly, all right? The sacrament of holy baptism, obviously in the Lutheran faith, they refer to it as a sacrament, meaning it's a visible means of grace. This is the nature of baptism. What is baptism, Luther asked? Baptism is not simple water only, but is the water comprehended in God's command and connected with God's word. Now, please note, they could, he connected with what? A command. Meaning that there's a law aspect to it, right? Oh, what, what, which is the word of God? Uh, Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, just please note that he quotes from Matthew. What, what is the order in Matthew? Teach, baptize, and then teach, right? Now, the only problem is infant baptism, what is not occurring? No teaching beforehand. Just keep that in mind. That's, that's, that's a problem, but okay, all right? What is the meaning of the word baptize? Baptize means to apply water by washing pouring, sprinkling, or immersing, 
All right, now please note they got the pouring and sprinkling. They want to make sure we emphasize that. When uh, they, they quote Mark 7, 4, when they, the Pharisees, came from the market, except they wash or baptize, they eat not, and many other things uh, there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups, pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. The reason they quote Mark 7, 4 is the washings there, they say is the same Greek word for baptize, meaning that, Baptism, depending on which Greek word is there in Mark 7, 4, that it can just simply mean a washing. It can just simply, in other words, it doesn't mean to completely immerse. That's the point they're trying to make there. We, we could get into a whole discussion about that. Right now, I'm not worried about that. Uh, then Acts twenty two sixteen. Everybody look at Acts twenty two sixteen because this is a, a, a common one. This is a go-to one for anyone who believes baptism is salvific or baptism is um, basically a sacrament. What do you find in Acts 22.16? There you go. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Acts twenty two sixteen. All right. There's no question. That's troubling, is it not? I mean, that's that's. I mean, you can't deny a verse like that. Now the point is, if it's salvific, what is the end result? You. I want to make sure we understand. If we say baptism is salvific, there's only there's only there's only two logical conclusions that we can arise from, right? If it's salvific, it's either what. Eternal, right? You can't lose it. Or you have to say it's salvific, but it can be lost based off, and then you have to determine the criteria for which one can lose it. And the minute you say it can be lost, that would seem to call into question the actual salvific nature of it, right? How salvific is it? And if you can lose it, what would be the logical conclusion that would have to happen? This is what blows my mind by the people who make it salvific. You'd have to, wouldn't you have to do it again? In many of those churches, you don't have to do it again. I don't make, that makes no sense to me. If baptism is salvific, if I lose it, I would have to get baptized again, would I not? Once again, it becomes even more convoluted the more we talk about it. Now, someone's going to be emailing me right now going, so what do we do with Acts 22.16? Right now, we, sometimes, you know what I do with these verses that are complicated? Just take it to its logical conclusion and see what you, where you end up. You're going to end up with a mess with that. Um, Matthew 3.11, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then, uh, then they quote some other scriptures, all right? So the meaning of the word baptize, they simply want us to know it can mean wash, it can mean pour, it can mean sprinkle, or it can mean immerse. Right, that according to them it can. Now I, I would have a hard time. None of those verses say it means sprinkling. None of them. It does. You could say it means washing. And even there, when you're washing a cup or a pot or a vessel, what are you doing with a pot, uh, a vessel or a cup? You're not sprinkling it. You're making it fully wet. And even when you wash a table, what are you doing with it? Are you not making it fully wet? Right. So, so I think it still would be the idea of making fully wet. Or, or you may not be immersing the table, but you're definitely making it fully wet. 
and sprinkling, you're not making fully wet. So at, at the very least, if you want to say it means pouring, you would have to at least pour the water on the person, right? Not just sprinkle it. So I don't know why he uses those verses to prove sprinkling because none of those verses prove sprinkling in any way, shape, or form, but okay. I, 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 I could come up with better verses to help him with that. All right, why is baptism not simply water only? Baptism is not simply water only because in baptism, water is used by a special command of God. Because the water is applied in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, it is thus connected with God's word. Who instituted holy baptism? God himself instituted baptism for, uh, for Christ, who is God, commanded his church to baptize all nations. And he quotes Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Once again, please follow the, the logical flow of thought. All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe. Please keep that in mind, all right? That three, that, that to me is so critical. If the Great Commission tells you to teach, baptize, and teach, what seems to be the way to understand it then? How is it supposed to work based off that concept? I teach someone based off their response to teaching, then baptize, then I teach to obey. Meaning that the first teaching would be classified probably as what kind of teaching? Evangelism, right? Sec- then baptism, and then the, third, the second teaching would be what? Discipleship. Right? Meaning, if we follow that pattern, what would that then completely throw out? If we follow that pattern, what would this throw out in regards to baptism? Infant baptism. If, if we go with that pattern, if we, if we go with that pattern, all right? Uh, now, I know there's going to be those who would argue, but I'm just, there's just no way to get around that. All right? Through whom does the church administer baptism? The church administers baptism through the called ministers of Christ, but in cases of emer- emergency and in the absence of the pastor, any Christian should baptize. All right, and of course, you know why they would say in case of emergency you should baptize. Why would they say that? Because if it's salvific, <laughs> you got to get them. You got to get them baptized. You got to get them saved. Right. Um, Well, I don't think it is. Everyone else would tell you it is, right? Everyone else, I mean, if, if you think about, if you take, take all the denominations that hold to infant baptism, they would believe infant baptism is supported in the word. In fact, the, the, the other day when I had the whole, I got hijacked and ambushed by that group of people who asked me to be a part of a, well, I thought it was one person asking me my questions on, Baptism. I did a whole podcast on this, and uh, I came into the conversation, and it was seven people, and they all just pounced on me and attacked me, t- basically telling me that I'm in sin because I don't believe in infant baptism. It was the craziest conversation I've ever had in my life. Their, their exact words were, infant baptism is clear in Scripture. I know, I, I don't understand how you could say it's clear in Scripture. I don't even understand. Even if you don't view it from a salvific way. I, I, I just, I have major issues with that. But okay. Um, so the church administers baptism through the called ministers of Christ, but in case of emergency, in the absence of the pastor, any Christian should baptize. What do the words baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost imply? 
They imply that by baptism I have been received into communion with the triune God. Please hear that. Did you just hear that? Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit implies what? That I have been received into communion with the Trinity by what? By baptism, I have been received into communion with the triune God. Meaning immediately that because of baptism, what happens? I'm brought into communion with God. Meaning it's salvific. Meaning it's regenerative. Now, here's the problem. If that's the case, then what causes me not to be in communion with God? If baptism doesn't, then there should be no way to what? Yeah, there's no way to, to, to somehow break it or make it ineffectual. And if I do, then I'm, I'm falling back into a works-based system. This is, what, this is what, what is so confusing about Lutheranism. All right, here we go. Who is to be baptized? All nations, that is, all human beings, young and old, are to be baptized. What distinction is to be made in baptizing? Those who can receive instruction are to be baptized after they've been instructed. Please note. So if you can receive instruction, when are you to be baptized? After instruction. Right? (laughs) Right. In other words, if you're old enough, then of course we don't baptize you until you can be instructed. But does does that make any sense? If Emma's eight days old, boom, baptized, and she's saved. But if she's 17, well, I've got to instruct her first. Why? If baptism is salvific and regenerative, why would I wait? Okay, well, I'm just, I mean, it just makes no sense. I mean, even if she talks back, if it's regenerative, who cares, Right? Right? I mean, who cares? I mean, just walk around every person you can meet in the name of the Father and the Son. Just sprinkle water on every person you can meet. And people say, you're, that's just, re- I, you're being ridiculous. No, I'm not. If it's regenerative for an eight-year-old apart, or an eight-day-old baby from any, they have no concept of what's happening and it washes away and makes them in communion with God, then why doesn't that work for anyone and everyone? Whether they want it, whether they don't want it. If I sprinkle them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what should happen? But for some reason, it doesn't work that way when you're older. So, but even they acknowledge if you're old enough, you're supposed to be instructed, right? But then listen, little children should be baptized when they're brought to baptism by those who have authority over them. How do you prove that infants too are to be baptized? Infants too are to be baptized because they're included in the words all nations. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. But do you see how what he just did there? Did everyone see the game Luther just played with that text? Let me read it again. How do you, how do you prove inf- infants are to be baptized? Infants are to be baptized because they're included in the words all nations. Read the text. Go therefore and Teach all nations, baptizing them. I am to teach all nations. Who am I to baptize out of all the nation I teach? Those who believe. Wouldn't that make the most sense? But he's like, no, 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 no. Because it says teach all nations, therefore we are to baptize infants. Well, then by that case, I should just baptize anyone and everyone.
everyone, regardless of teaching them. <laughs> that's, such a, that's such a foolish game to play right there. All right? Now, now they're going to quote the famous one, Acts 2, 38 through 39. Um, uh, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall, be, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is, uh, is unto you and to your children. Now, they think that means infant baptism. We can, we can, there's a whole lot of ways of looking at that we'll, we'll, we'll have to get to in a minute. All right? Now, listen. Here's the key. Are you ready? This is, what, this is his key to why we should baptize infants. Everybody ready? Because holy baptism is the only means whereby an infant, who too must be born again, can ordinarily be regenerated and brought to faith. Well, I'm not, but I understand why. But see, that proves my point. They, they understand the child needs to be saved. Well, what's our answer? Well, within the Protestant world, what's the answer? No, they, our answer is the age of accountability. That's, that's, been, that's like built into you, almost any Christian you know. You say, what, if, a, if a school shooting happens and say you know, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12, even 13-year-olds, if they get shot, what does almost all Christians immediately say? They went to heaven. Why did they go to heaven? Okay. Well, either one. We, they don't, we don't say that. It's because... It's true. Yeah, if anyone dies in a horrible way, then they go to heaven. If you die in an ordinary way, you don't. It's just so weird. But the point is, basically, they, they, they were under the age of accountability. So everybody wants to get the kid to heaven. I understand everybody wanting to get the kid to heaven. But here's what we... What can we not do with Scripture? We can't just go to Scripture and just make it say whatever makes us feel better. What's make, make, what makes me feel better isn't the answer. But immediately Luther acknowledges, hey, there's got to be a way for these kids to get saved. There's got to be a way. And so what's the solution? Well, baptism. Now, logically speaking then, what should be the logical conclusion? If taking a baby with no faith, putting water saves them, then in theory, that should apply to whom? Everyone. But they're like, no, 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 no. The minute you can be taught, then it doesn't work that way. Well, wait a minute. Either baptism is regenerative, or it's not regenerative. You can't have it both ways, right? It's only regenerative when you're... Eight days old, but when you're 18, it's not regenerative anymore. Now, they would still say it's regenerative even for the 18-year-old, but now the 18-year-old has to do what? Believe or what? It's like, well, wait a it, it can't be this convoluted. It, it can't be. All right, now please note that when they say, um, because holy baptism is the only means whereby infants who too must be born again can ordinarily be regenerated and brought to faith, please note, he doesn't quote one scripture where a baby is being baptized. You know what he quotes? Everybody look at Mark 10, really quick, 13 through 15. This is his go-to verse. Yeah, this is Luther. 13 through 15. 
Tell, and look at it and tell me why you think he uses that. Why do you think he uses Mark 10, 13 through 15? There's young children who are brought to him that he should touch them. His disciples rebuke them, right? And then he says, but he says, but forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. That's the passage, the first passage you... Does that anything say anything about baptism, that the babies were baptized, the babies were sprinkled? Anything about baptism? At all? Nothing. Literally nothing is there. Not a thing. And then he quotes John 3, 5 through 6, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Again, nothing about a child, nothing about infant baptism. Right now, this is where it gets inf- in- interesting, and this is what great, caused me great confusion when I was a Lutheran, because I, I this is the question I had for my Lutheran pastor. It's like, well, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. So, how can someone be saved apart from faith? And guess what I was told about infants that they can believe. And guess what verse I was given to prove this point? Nope. John the Baptist. How he leapt in the womb. So I'm like, so now wait a minute. Every baby that's baptized believes? And Luther kind of hints at the concept. Look what Luther says. Because infants too can believe. Now, he quotes Matthew 18, 6. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a milestone was hanged about his neck and that he was drowned in the depth of sea. Because it says little ones which believe in me, he quotes that as being infants who believe in him. That doesn't say infants, does it? It says little ones. Now, just because it says little ones, we, we, could, we, could clearly, we, could, we, we could clearly understand the little ones there as being a reference to what? To just children, right, who are old enough to believe. I, I think we can uh, agree with that. All right, now we're almost out of time. Yeah, we're at 10.56. We're going to have to stop. We'll have to stop. We'll, we'll definitely, we'll come back and work on this tonight. We'll work on this tonight. All right? Any questions? So the main thing I want you to see is if you make it sacramental, if you make it sacramental, it sounds good because it sounds very gospel-oriented, does it not? God is the one who's doing this. He's getting ready to explain what God supposedly does in baptism for us. And it's a whole lot of things. Well, if that's true, you can't then come along and say, well, it's, see, because the Lutherans will brag, see, we, our baptism is gospel-oriented. Yeah, but if you can say that you can lose the salvation later... It's not gospel-oriented. And if it does that, then it has to be what? Permanent. All right, that's at least get us there. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Thank you for letting us get a start on this concept. I pray that we will take this to its logical conclusion and try to see how this concept fits into the proper understanding of law and gospel. Uh, Just have us remain committed 
to trying to figure this out. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,